Thank you, Karen. Well, we've been doing this series on James for a while now. We're nearly finished. Uh, one more sermon to go next week before we move on. And we've seen, we've again and again said, what we're looking at when we think about uh, what James is saying is how, as Christians, we can put our faith into action in practical ways. And in the previous weeks, we've looked at various ways that James talks about how we can do that, things like how we speak or how we show hospitality to people who are different to us. As James goes on, though, throughout the letter, he becomes a bit more and more broad with uh, what, he th- what he's getting us to think about and makes us think actually more about our lives as a whole and what it means to put your faith in action in your whole life, not just in particular things that you do. And this week, as we've read, the overall theme is how in order to put our faith into action properly, we need to be aware of and accept God's perspective on the circumstances of our life and how things are going to turn out for us. Particularly, we need to accept that we don't have control over our lives and what's going to happen. I think we all have a natural desire for security and certainty, and we want to know that things are going to be the way, we think, the way we'd like them to be. But the things that we actually do to follow that desire, to put it into practice, often work against putting our faith into action in a proper, in a proper way. So particularly, James thinks about our attitudes to time and our attitudes to money because those are things that show what our attitude is to certainty and security in our lives. And so he gives us these warnings about how Christians respond to our feelings for uh, desire for certainty on those issues. So the first warning is about uh, how do we plan our time and how do we uh, plan the way that we're going to be spending our lives. So he says, now listen... You who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city or that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what you will do or what will happen tomorrow. One of the things, I think, that can creep up on us over time in our lives is sort of an overconfidence that we know what's going to happen in the future. And we can lock our plans in years in advance and that's going to be okay. Um, So he gave this example of the kind of thing a businessman might say, I'm going to go and do this next year. And we do say that kind of thing, don't we, when we're talking about the plans for our lives. You know, think about perhaps how we talk about our travel plans. Uh, You might say, next year we're going to go and spend three months in Europe. I'd like to be able to say that, but... uh, Or you might say, I'm going to take this year, I'm going to have a gap year this year, I'm going to go to the United States and just hang around and I'll come back and get a job after that. Or you can think about how we do talk about our careers in this way as well. You know, in five years' time, I'm going to be a junior manager. In ten years, I'll be senior uh, manager. And uh, I've got this plan. And so we say those kind of things. And, it, and I think this kind of thinking is even built into the way our planning tools work. M- many of us don't use paper calendars anymore. We use electronic calendars. So I use uh, Google Calendar. And when I create a regular appointment something I do every week or every month or something like that, um, it gives me the choice of how many times it should keep on repeating that. And do you know, what's the default? It never stops. <laughs> the default is that it will, I will never stop doing this. And so Google, by calendar by default, believes that I am going to be doing the same thing in a million years' time uh, every Thursday at 4.30pm until the end of time. Um, 
you know, and so this is this is this is just a just a sort of example of you know this is how we think we can think it's natural to think okay I'm just going to plan a long time in advance and uh, you know things are going to happen now it's natural that we need to do that we need to make plans that's fine but what James wants to remind us as Christians is that despite what our calendar might think we're not going to be doing the same thing every week for the rest of time we need to be aware that the events of our lives are not ultimately in our control. You know, we can look ahead for our plans, but we may never get to carry them out, these things that we say we're going to do. And that needs to be part of our awareness. Uh, you know, we are very fragile. Things can be knocked off course very easily. So James says, hey, you think, we think we've got these plans, but we're just like a mist, you know. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow, it vanishes. So when we plan, he says, your attitude shouldn't be, I'm going to do this. It should be, if it's the Lord's will, I will do this. That's what he says in verses 15. Um, just a reminder that in the end our lives are actually shaped more by events outside our control and, and, and God's plans as well, which might be different from what we want uh, our lives to turn out or how we've planned things to be. So you plan a holiday, I'm going to go overseas next year, but maybe there's a hurricane when you need to go and you can't go. Or we plan our careers, but then we get sick and we can never carry out those plans. Uh, I recently had a reminder of my lack of control over events. This is perhaps a trivial one, um, but it's a fair example of this kind of problem and it might show us the issue a bit more. And warning, this is a slightly geeky example, so Damien, who loves computers, might appreciate it. But, um, so for the past two years or so, I've been eagerly anticipating uh, the release uh, I think my new slide, of a, new, of a video game which I'm eagerly looking forward to playing called No Man's Sky. Now, this game was scheduled to be released about two weeks from now, so I was starting to think about it. You know, great, it's coming out soon. I've got holidays then, I'll be able to do this, counting the days, it's going to happen. Then I woke up a few weeks ago on my birthday, no less, to find the news. The delay has happened. It's going to come out in another two months' time, so I have to wait. I have to adjust to this thinking. Now, you may think, oh, Andrew, that's a very extremely trivial thing. Obviously, you don't play video games because this is good. <laughs> but maybe just think about how would you feel if you, if you really thought your team was going to win the, the grand final and then you, you, couldn't, you were looking forward to going, you'd got your tickets, but then you, know, you couldn't go because your car broke down. That's that kind of feeling. Um, so... I think this is, uh, this is the sort of thing where I need to learn my lesson. You know, if I, you know I'm, I'm, I am starting to make my plans again of, of what's going to happen when it comes out in two months. But if I'd learned my lesson, as James would have taught me, I'd realise that between now and then, things could change again. Lots of things could happen. I'm not, this could be delayed again. You know, I could lose my job and not be able to afford to play video games or I could be hit by a bus and never be able to play anything again, you know. Um, one of my sons could pull my TV out of the wall and, and I wouldn't be able to use it. Um, so there's so much out of my control even on this one small thing, you know, which isn't really that important. And how much more then is it for things that actually are important in our lives to realise we don't have control? So I don't have control over the big once-in-a-lifetime holiday my family and I would, would like to have in a few years or my retirement plans, what that's going to look like. So even all these things, it's, and it's within this world where we don't have control that we actually have to live out our faith and put it into action. So James is reminding us about the context which we live. We live with uncertainty. This is the, um, 
This is the, the, the way that we live. And so when we put our faith into practice, we need to uh, be aware that we do live in a place where we can't control what's going to happen. And the point that James is making, though, is not here to encourage us then to say, oh, well, I can't do anything, I, need to be, I can be passive, just let, the, let life happen and not try to do anything positive. What he's saying is, when we, I think, when we view our plans, we need to view them um, in just a different way, not as a plan for security, um, but in a different way. Because if we unconsciously believe that we're going to live forever or that we can plan for years in advance with certainty, we get caught up then in these kind of grand plans that are not related to the, the task of putting our faith into action. And in verse 16, James calls those kind of plans arrogant schemes. And I think a plan, which is, can be a good thing, becomes an arrogant scheme when you believe that it's going to give you certainty and that you're going to do it regardless of what God thinks about it or what else is going to happen. And so from the point of view of putting our faith into action, the problem is the assumption that we make that we're going to have time to do all these things that we've planned and still put our faith into action at a later date when we have time to do that. Instead, James is actually encouraging us to focus on the present and the good things that we have the opportunity to do right now. In verse 17 he says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. We're doing other things instead. So you make, we make a big plan, we say, I'm going to do this now and I will put off to later doing the things that I know God wants me to do. You know, many people say, I'm just going to wait to get to know God until after I've you know, made this way through my career or I've done what I'm going to do because then I'll have time. Um, I do that kind of thing as well. But James says, look, that time may never come. We have the time now to do uh, what God has asked us to do. Now is all the time that we know that we have. So this is the first issue. You know, we, our, uh, we live under fundamental uncertainty about the course of our lives and that's why we, our faith needs to be put in action as a matter of priority. And the second issue that James touches on then is closely related for us, for time and plans, which is the issue of money. Because um, money is another source of this you know, tension of certainty um, and uncertainty for us. And I think that's why rich people are so often the targets of the words of prophets and, and, and preachers like James in the Bible because they are tempted to use money as a means of certainty. So in chapter 5 here he starts with 1 to 6, he says, now listen you rich people, and he goes on to condemn them for the way that they're behaving with the money that they have. They're using their wealth in an unjust way. Particularly they're saving money for themselves by not paying people properly for doing work for them. It's very common in the Bible for rich people to be judged for that kind of behaviour. Um, the, and he says, well, so basically says the money that, they, that you've accumulated this way is like, is like evidence against you and it's literally burning a hole in your pocket. It's evidence that you don't trust God. Uh, you know, and now when we listen to that kind of thing, we may think, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I don't have employees. Uh, I'm not in a position to, do, to sin in that way. And it's true that not everyone is an oppressor. Uh, some Christian people are very poor and James is writing to poor people as well. But I think when uh, we here today hear that, we, probably, this, we shouldn't let ourselves off the hook too easily. We know that in Australia we're a very wealthy country in global terms. And I think if we are oppressors with the money that we have, it might be hidden from us a bit. Because the people that work for us often work overseas uh, due to the global market and we don't see the way that they are treated. Um, I had a look at this 
uh, there's a website called globalrichlist.com this week and it tells you sort of comparatively speaking where you are in the world uh, in terms of your wealth based on how much you earn. And comparatively speaking, I realise I'm one of the richest people in the world. It puts me in the top 1% of income and um, that would be the case for most of us here. So all, this does speak to us in some way um, of our desire for certainty and security in the wealth that we've accumulated. And so the problem that James is talking about, of course, isn't it's, a, it's wrong to have money, but it's how we use it and our attitude towards it and what we're trying to do with it. And the temptation is to use money as a way of building up our security and against um, the uncertainty of life. And that's why, one reason why we are so greedy and we act unjustly, because we're afraid uh, of, what, of what it would be like to be poor. And so this sort of action becomes on a wrong perspective on the, on the circumstances of our life presuming that money can actually bring security, when, of course, in the long run it can't, um, because it, it passes away. Um, Jesus uh, told a parable about this. It's called the parable of the rich fool. And so he said, I'll read it to you. He, said, he, he told the people this parable. Uh, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you've got plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? So the, the, the rich fool believes that what he has will bring him security, but God reminds him it doesn't matter how much you have, that doesn't make you secure in the face of death. Uh, so this presumption that money can bring security is false, and even, though, even, even if we don't think about the end of our lives, we all know that it's very easy through misfortune or mismanagement that we lose the things that we've accumulated. And so this is a constant problem for us. We need to actually resolve it. And it is very embedded in our uh, culture, well, one of the things I find is we get, it gets challenged often when people talk about how they might, might not really want to pursue money or security in that way. Often young people, very thinking very idealistically and optimistically about their lives, will say, you know, I don't, I don't really care about money, I just want to you know, do what God wants, I want to follow that uh, his way. And often I think there's a tendency within us to respond to that, oh well, yes, that's nice, but... You need to still think about the future and make plans. And, of course, that's wise, but it, there is something inside us that wants to say security is something that should be sought, even at the expense of doing what God wants. And I think that, if, from James's point of view, if we're too keen to justify our efforts for security, um, it's perhaps an indication that there's an underlying lack of trust in God um, that's motivating our actions. So it is a problem for our faith and putting it into action when we put our security in, in our possessions, in our plans, because they don't actually give us security in the end. And that, that's a problem for Christians, isn't it? Because it means actually we're not living in faith. Um, we're living in faith, in, in God, not in God, in something else. God is excluded from that way of life. And so James's encouragement then is to live in a way that takes into account God's perspective on these things, how we use our time and money, and, and not to seek security, but to seek what is good. Uh, because a true faith actually looks forward and trusts in God's plans and God's provision. If we look at verses uh, 7 to 11 in chapter 5 of James uh, there, James is, encourages that, that Christians should be looking forward, he says, to the Lord's coming. 
So they're to enthusiastically anticipate the return of Jesus to complete God's plans in history and to believe that certainty actually comes from God's plans, um, not our own. And this was something that was actually very hard for the early Christians to do. They had to learn it. Uh, One of the significant issues in studying the early uh, history of the church is is realising that it's clear that many Christians in the first uh, few generations believed that Jesus was going to return very soon and actually they may may not even die before he came back. Um, And they had to learn um, patience and to trust in God a bit more, that God's plans were not ours and we can't control when he's going to return. And that can be hard. Um, because waiting is, an, is pretty much one of the hardest things that we do, when, particularly when we don't know what the time frame is. So it's very hard to wait if, if you want to get married and you haven't been able to find the right person, or if you're, you want to sell your house and you can't find a buyer, or if you're stuck in a job that makes you unhappy and you don't know how to get out, or if you want to have children and you can't uh, when you're ready for them. So we do struggle with this issue with patience and that's, that's what he's um, arguing, uh, that's what James is encouraging the Christians about, that patience is actually one of the key Christian virtues because it shows a trust in God in this world when we don't have control. You can see in verse 7, um, Jesus, um, sorry, James compares the proper Christian attitude uh, to life to the way that a farmer acts. So the farmer plants their crop, they prepare the land and then they wait patiently for the rain to come. And it's the, rain, the rain comes in God's time, not the farmer's, and they can't control it. And so there's no certainty in the, in the farmer's life here apart from his trust in God. And actually this is supposed to, I think, make us think, well, what do we actually think about God? Does God is God going uh, to, to help us? Is God going to save us? Can we trust his goodness? Because the reason that Christians should be able to wait patiently for God to trust him and not money, is because we believe that God is good. And that's why James mentions the story of Job in uh, verse 11 and then reminds at the end of our reading that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Uh, if you don't know the story of Job, it's a book in the Old Testament and it's a story of a man who suffered a lot um, but he maintained his faith in God and was vindicated in the end. And that's always been the perspective of people throughout history who've had faith in God, a true faith. And because we know, the, we know because of what God has done that he's full of compassion. So regardless of not knowing what, when things are going to happen or how things are going to turn out, it's the trust that God is good and he's in control. Um, there's a great chapter in the letter to Hebrews on this topic, chapter 11, and it begins with a famous definition of faith. It says in verse 1, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And then uh, the chapter goes on to talk about people in the Old Testament time who showed through their actions that they had this faith. They put their faith in God despite not seeing, even in their own lifetimes, the things that he had promised. It says in verse 13 of that chapter, all those people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. So as Christians we're actually in a better position than those people because we have seen what they saw and welcomed from a distance, uh, the coming of Jesus. And this is what they were putting their hope in. Because it's actually, for Christians, what Jesus has done, his life, his death and resurrection, that is the source of assurance that God is going to save us 
and we can have certainty in that. That is the basis for faith. It's the source of security uh, for, for our lives and, and beyond. And so that's, um, that's the context of our lives. Our faith is actually confidence in things we don't see, uh, but because we have seen what God has done in Jesus. So we, in, our last, uh, in our last sermon in this series next week, we're going to think about some of the tangible experiences that we do have now of God's presence with us and how we can know his presence more deeply. But today, James is reminding us that when we think to put our faith in action, uh, it can actually only be put into action consistently throughout our lives out of a security that comes of the, from a faith and trust in what God has done, um, that he is good um, and that he will save us and that we don't need to trust in other things apart from Christ and what he's done for us. So I'd like to pray that we uh, would consider that today and think about uh, what that means for us as we go forward. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the trust that we can have in you and your character, which has been shown to us, especially through Christ and his death and resurrection. We pray that we would put our hope and our certainty in him, and that you would allow us to have a light attitude towards our plans and towards the possessions that we have, so that we can be generous, we can put our faith into action and not be caught up um, in unjust and greedy ways. We pray you would um, bring this into our hearts and a sense of confidence in you. In Jesus' name, amen.